I'm Dr. Sky Katz of Scott from Health with Heart, and this podcast is a celebration of the purpose, capacity, and magic of the human body and its ability to heal and take us to new places. Join me on a journey exploring new aspects of medicine and healing for our collective well being. I think humility is a very important part of any relationship to be humble and it's not about whose fault things are it's about the reconnection and the connection so i'm sitting in a studio with two of my favorite humans and i've known both of them my whole life and the reason we are here is because I draw on so much of their wisdom and their insight in many aspects of my life, but probably the most meaningful one in my marriage. And so it's a privilege and an honor to invite my parents, my father, Sid, and my mom, Ellie, to join me in a conversation about marriage, about sacred partnership, about communication about integrity, fidelity. And I think a lot of these things are are lost arts today and that we don't shine enough light on them and we don't invest enough time and energy in them. And so I thought we could begin by talking about how you two met because you've been together now, how long? 42 years. 42 years. (laughs) Wow. So where did it all begin? Sid, do you want to tell us where it all began? Something about the Charles Street kiss. Oh. (laughs) So I knew Ellie as a teenager, but I think the, the real magic and timing with our relationship started when we were at university, at Fitz University, in 1980. And I remember Eleanor, Ellie, as I know today, walking down the camp, the campus with a cardboard box on her head and a diaphanous dress. <laughs> <laughs> of which I don't think Eleanor knew how diaphanous it really was. <laughs> and feeling very protective over Ellie, because I knew her from a young girl from Pretoria, uh, I approached her and said, let's look at your reflection in the window of the the campus um, glass screen. And I remember Ellie giggling and laughing and a cardboard <laughs> box on her head. And it was like, oh, wow, yeah, no. And, and that was, I think, the very beginning of our... Romance. Our dating, yeah. <laughs> And for you, Ellie? No. Do you remember that? Um, what was in the box? Can you remember what was in the box? At the time, I was a drama student, and um, maybe it was just a dramatic gesture. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what was in the box. But um, there is, as you say, that legendary Charles Street kiss <laughs> where um, I can't remember exactly, but I think the car stopped in the middle of the road, and we never looked back. In fact, I think the whole world stopped. <laughs> and we're still spinning. 
Beautiful. So, so how do you how do you keep the whole world in pause so that this sacred union can exist and grow and feed you in the way that it does? So, I think a word that seems to pop up for me is is commitment. And commitment is a choice to be committed to anything, really, but particularly in this instance to a relationship. And I do believe, I know that I have been totally committed to this relationship from the very beginning and to the very end, wherever that might be, which is probably one of us leaving um, the planet. I mean, <laughs> ceasing to be, <laughs> being no more. <laughs> but anyway, so, so and then um, not only commitment, but effort. You know, putting time and consciousness, being conscious about your relationship or our relationship in this um I think that there's some some basic ideas that bring uh, stability to everything in life, and and that idea of commitment and setting a boundary and making a decision. I remember in the early stages of our relationship um, talking about how there's so much. Um, temptation out in the world there's no shortage of beautiful people um, that you will find attractive and continue to find attractive and maybe even continue to have connections with um, but not to for a moment be seduced by them or to be um, fooled into thinking that they can offer you something that you can't already find within the sacred boundary of your own um, partnership and and those are decisions. It's actually a decision to be faithful and a decision not to be um, distracted. And there, there's no illusion about the fact that just merely because you've committed to a relationship, you're now immune um, from the, the attractions of the world. They still exist and there's still beautiful people out there who may um, hold a spark for you. Um, but I think that when you set clear boundaries and you hold the, what you have um, with reverence, then you begin to transcend, actually. You transcend, and that primary relationship in your, mind, in your life becomes the central pivot out of which everything manifests and ripples out into the world. Well, at least that's the way it is for me. And it, it is also the most fundamental point of meaning in my life is my relationship with my husband. That's you, Sid. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking a lot. Let's talk about meaning. I think, I think meaning is something that everybody's seeking and everybody is searching for. And I don't think people think of their relationships as a source of meaning. Mm. I think that people are externalizing meaning more and more. And I think our, 
I think that our striving for all these externalized goals and outcomes actually just leads us further and further away and leaves less and less time to invest in partnerships that can generate meaning in and of themselves. So how practically do you tell a young relationship to venerate that well spring of meaning and maybe even spiritual resource. Mm. Mm. So, so thank you for, for mentioning that word because that was immediate, immediately what came to mind was my spiritual connection to sacred partnership, which I like to call any committed relationship. And if one does bring in the sacred, the spiritual, the all, somehow or some way, the individual, the small eye or the large eye seems to disappear and there's a greater sense of connectedness in a spiritual nature that the two of you operate and connect within a realm of of oneness. Of oneness, yeah, and connection. And on a, on a very simple level, I often say to Ellie, like I will just be moved by a, a, an emotion of connection. And and Ellie, I'm, I'm sure you recognize that I, I am motivated to just apologize to you for having ever said something to you that has been hurtful or to apologize to you for not knowing or without an in, without intentionally what you, you need know, yeah saying something that could land up with you feeling maybe not not heard or seen or loved mm. so i think humility is a very important part of any relationship to be humble. And it's not about whose fault things are. It's about the reconnection and the connection, which I believe is always there. But the story we tell ourselves about each other or the story I tell myself about a situation or an incident is just my story. It's not necessarily true. So I think humility and to be humble in relationships is a, a very relevant uh, thing for me. It definitely helps to be um, in relationship, well, for me as a woman, um, to be in relationship with um, a man who is deeply in touch with all the qualities that we associate with the feminine and to be with a partner who is a self-regulating, self-reflecting deep thinking human being and I imagine that it would be very different and much more challenging to be uh, in partnership with someone who maybe doesn't have that aspect of themselves um, ignited that it hasn't been opened and it, it isn't developing and um, I think that must be very very frustrating so in that sense we've been really fortunate because we were on the same wavelength and I remember reading once something about how love isn't about gazing into each other's eyes, but about gazing out in the same direction. 
And I think for both of us, we have the same goal and the same vision and um, that sets us off on, on a journey side by side. It makes companionship um, and purpose synchronized. And also I'd just like to add uh, for me that I remember at, I think it was in our, our wedding speech, Ellie, you spoke about two trees growing and flourishing side by side and being able to move with the wind and to bend and to and rather than being rigid that came up for me immediately and that's what 40 odd years ago mm. and the other thing is for me to want you my sacred partner to be the best version of yourself and for me to want the best version of myself and that to me is symbolic of the two trees growing magnificently and in their abundance together in sacred partnership. Mom, do you remember the introduction words to those speech? With the ink of its showers and rains, with the quill of its lightning, with the hand of its clouds, Summer wrote a letter upon the garden in purple and blue. No artist could ever conceive the like of that. And that is why the earth, grown jealous of the sky, embroidered stars amongst the folds of the flower beds. Just beautiful. <laughs> so we've spoken about humility, which I think is an invitation always to learning. And, and I think our, our partnerships and our marriages are often our biggest teachers. So how do you use the teaching voice of your, of your marriage in a building, constructive way rather than a reactive way? Because I think that when the marriage speaks as a teacher, there's often conflict and it's often difficult. And that's probably when commitment wavers and temptations lurk. And so what practical advice can we offer to people around listening to that teacher and responding rather than reacting in a way that builds and strengthens the togetherness rather than forces it apart conflict in relationships is often in my opinion a push for growth or change or a shift needing to take place and if, if we, as humans, could look at this conflict more symbolically rather than get, him, get sucked into it and get reactive and uh, participate in the, the negative aspect of it and rather see it as a push, like I said earlier, for growth, then one can almost choose a different way of of perceiving conflict and often again i bring in the word humility if one is humble enough one can see well okay what what can i learn from this conflict or what what is actually going on and i know for me when i do turn 
and reflect and take responsibility where and not react and rather think what is actually taking place what is the gift that my partner is giving me um it can manifest in something much more refined for myself for me in other words the the conflict is an opportunity for refinement exactly and exactly. for reframing 100%. and recalibrating you got me good you got me so let's talk nuts and bolts because this all sounds very poetic and romantic but it's also quite esoteric so i think it would be helpful if we unpack that okay. mm. i i wanted to just share um an idea that i heard about a while a while ago and i feel that it's so relevant um to relationships in the the contemporary world because i think sid and i met in a much more binary world with much clearer in a binary way boundaries and clearer ideas around fidelity and partnership and sacred partnership and and perhaps some of those ideas around marriage have become increasingly unpopular so this idea was around the diversity that comes from monogamy which sounds paradoxical and the monotony that comes from having various relationships that when you go from partner to partner you get to put your best foot forward over and over again use your best lines show your best self and in reality you get to fall in love with yourself over, over and, and over, over again. again but when you commit to an enduring partnership you 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 seen in in all your glory and in all your shadow and all your flaws and all your imperfections and you get called out on them they're not tolerated and if you're lucky and you stay the distance and you put in the work you get to land up with something more beautiful and more transcendent than you even conceived of when you made this commitment to the relationship and i think that that's something for young people to bear in mind that it is very easy uh in a modern world to bail to walk away but the the treasure and the beauty and the gift of staying is beyond i think what you can imagine as a medical doctor i feel like we need a disclaimer here <laughs> because i don't think that's always true i think that sometimes there are fundamentals that are missing and and sometimes the best way is not to be together and so we're not talking about those relationships no of course we're not talking about pathology we're not I, talking no, about but I, i just felt like even, i had to name it i had to name course, it yeah um so we're to- we're talking about where the bones are there where there's good bones yes where there there's good bones there's good bones and maybe the road is a little bit hard and i think as well you know there's that old cliche about the very things that attracted you to someone when you were young become the things that annoy you deeply annoy you um as you grow older and there is some truth in that um but i think that's also because 
Ellie, what annoys you about Sid? Sorry to interrupt you. What annoys me about Sid? The thing is that even the noise that the things that annoy me about him, there's a shadow and there's a gold to those things. So I like the fact I, we come from, I think, a very traditional partnership where um, we took on quite traditional roles as man and woman. And I think so the feeling of being with a man who's very protective of me and um, and of our family, who who is intent on providing the best possible life for us and guiding us as a patriarchal figure is beautiful, but can sometimes feel uh, controlling. And um, I think when you become aware of the fact that every strength has within it a capacity for shadow, mm. then that gives you an understanding and you're able to to share an insight with one another when that presents. Um, so what annoys you about Ellie? So, so what's interesting, Ellie, and I, I love the way you 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 navigated that one. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, what are we going to hear now? <laughs> so, like I said earlier, Sky, it's not so much what we what annoys us about each other because that's often the story I tell myself about you when you. So when you leave your clothes lying on the dressing room floor or when you don't put the cap on the toothpaste tube and if when you don't manage the, the your car in a cleanly, hygienic <laughs> way, et cetera, et cetera. It's, those are small things that do annoy us as humans about each other. Mm. And I would imagine most partnerships have got lists of what annoys me about you. So I think, though, and I know it does sound a little esoteric and it does sound maybe a little bit shawa shawa, but the bottom line is that at the end, when you do unpack the day-to-day living, that if you grow, if you actually wake up with a commitment and a decision that this day is going to be a good day for me, which is a positive attitude. And how does that look to me? It looks like, okay, so on my way to the bathroom this morning, I walk past three pieces of clothing together with a few, a little bit of this and that. That's okay. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? Mm, I hope my husband is going to listen to this episode. Okay, so <laughs> does it really matter? And I remember going back a good 20, 25 years where I used to go around our uh, home and I used to, do you remember, Elia? Tip would over, take you tipped over a, a table. <laughs> or, and, say, and turn it upside down and drop everything on and say, just look at the state of this drawer. Until Ellie once said to me, and there was a very a, a friend of ours, which I would, won't name, <laughs> who was extremely, extremely tidy, and very, uh, and fastidious. her home was fastidious. Well, well, her home was immaculately um, organized. And Ellie looked me squarely in the eye and said, "Would you rather be married to this person?" <laughs> And I froze <laughs> and I heard what Ellie said and I thought, absolutely not. And interestingly enough, that was a turning point for me 
where I was confronted in a very real way was, okay, well, what do you want to do about this untidy draw? Sid, what do you want to do about this disorganized partner? Whatever story you tell yourself about. And it was a choice I made then and there that it's just okay. And I'd rather have all the magnificent other things in my relationship and be committed to what we had and what we still have. But for me, again, which comes back to the very first word I spoke about, commitment mm. and choices. And and I, I would like to springboard that into the word responsibility. Mm. The definition for me of responsibility is that I take full responsibility for my life, my choices, my actions, my feelings and my thoughts. And there's no running away from that. There's no hiding. And if you want to show up in your relationship and take full responsibility, I do believe you will get to a place where you make good decisions like, okay, well, what I want to do with this dissatisfied feeling or this frustration or this negative thought about my partner. And that becomes a choice. And be conscious, be aware, and take responsibility about that choice. So, um, and, it, and potentially, and I think what you're saying is that you can change your response. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and we can reframe anything. A- anything, and it's with just with purely with one's attitude. Mm. And I, I think it's so easy to get caught into into a cycle of thinking and looping. And repeating. And blaming and, and shaming. Yeah. yeah, blaming and shaming. That it almost becomes like your default mode. Very much so. so yeah. That's what happen to, happens to us when we get into the car. <laughs> That's <laughs> you our bickering place. And oh. then we like look at each other and pack up laughing because it is almost like a default mode that we, we I start to bicker to him about going too fast or missing a turning and it's all such small stuff and it doesn't serve the space between us to focus on that and it's maybe symbolic that we're in a car whenever that happens because you know hopefully we're moving forward in the in the right direction um together i have a quite a clear memory of sitting with you dad on the night before i got married and we we were, were sitting with a whole lot of my friends and you came to describe this beautiful platter, this porcelain painted heirloom. And and you explained that if it was dropped, that it's likely that it would be able to be put back together, but that it would never be the same again. And one of my good friends that was present at that chat, and I often reflect on that, and, and I think it's so true. And it, it just reinforces the choice about mm. how tenderly you hold this mm. thing. Mm. And we're also quick to invest in our bodies and our diets and our jobs. I think more and more people are investing in their jobs over and above everything else. And we don't think about investing in our marriages. And in our relationships, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that you only really understand when you're in a marriage because it doesn't always feel easy or natural to lean in and to be tender and to and to nourish the space in fact when it's i well in my experience when it's hardest to nourish the space is when the space most needs nourishment 
Yeah, and maybe there are conversations that need to be had around what happens for you when you're upset and what is the way in which you respond and what do you most need from me when you're feeling hurt or enraged or disappointed. And once you have an insight, I think for 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 the two of us, we have very different ways of one of us leaning in and the other pulling back. The chimp and the turtle. The chimp and the turtle. Introducing the chimp chimp and and the the turtle. turtle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tell us more. uh, So, Ellie, um, so the chimp is always the one who is going, like Ellie said, leaning in, wanting a response, wanting to talk, wanting to... Let's talk about this. Let's sort this out. Let, and the turtle is the one who is withdrawing, withdrawing and stepping back and needing time to maybe self-soothe or just regroup or reset. Maybe Perfect. even do a little sulking, yeah. which I might add over the decades has got less and less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so normally there's a chimp and a turtle in most relationships. I'm the chimp. <laughs> I'm definitely the chimp. Well, chimps normally know who they are and turtles know who they are. And it's also interesting because when you look back and you try and think about your childhood, you're often able to recognize that maybe the way that you coped um, in a childhood situation when you were uncomfortable, your adaptation might have been to go to your room and read Mm. and be quiet and still. And whereas maybe your partner was, as you were saying, seeking connection, seeking comfort from others. And I think when you begin to recognize the different ways in which you react to a conflict, um, you can respect that and you can give each other space or time or you can come out and meet your partner halfway. Well, I think that I like that you've brought up those adaptations because I think that if you think about the adaptations that we all make to endure the various challenges that we do in our lives, I think that we, we can hold them with kindness and, and almost thank yourself for that adaptation, that adaptation for that moment in time. But those adaptations need to change and they don't always serve you. And I think naming those responses and understanding what those responses are will empower you to find new responses. Mm. And and I th- I th- you spoke about asking your partner. I think, I think that that was one of the biggest revelations I've had in the last decade, that my partner can't read my mind. Mm. He doesn't know exactly how I want to be wooed or what I want for dinner or how I want to raise my children. And if you don't communicate these things and, and ask with love and outside of the conflict arena – for what you need, there's a very good chance you're just not going to get it. And also there's a time for those those conversations. Uh, like you said, when it's calm and when it's relaxed. Uh, never to fight emotion with emotion because when you are emotional, you are not available really. And that is when one needs, well, not needs disconnection, but you, the story again that you tell yourself is that you're disconnected but I don't believe you or anybody in a partnership is ever disconnected it's just our us our story that we tell ourselves in that moment that disconnects us 
and it becomes a choice. So I know often when I am now triggered or um, not feeling loved or not, f- I don't feel seen or heard, I think i take a moment and I'm, I've learned this. It's taken me a long time to actually learn this. But I've learned to just track my breath and to see what goes on inside my own body. And that gives me a pause from reacting. And in that pause, there's a space where I step back from my own story. And I allow my feeling to help me respond rather than to react. And maybe to get closer to what the truth of that story is. Because I think a lot of the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and our partners are often just not true. Yeah, mostly. Mostly not true. And then listening to the feeling and listening to the body, one becomes more authentic and moves from ego to, again, a space of... Of vulnerability. Of being vulnerable, correct. And that's not an easy place to go. It takes awareness, it takes uh, a conscious choice, and it takes a certain amount of learning to be able to choose to say, hold on, what is actually going on here? And what do I really want right now? And most often when we are in those very moments, what I really need and what I have learned to rather ask rather than sulk and withdraw or react or say something that is just going to upset my partner I've, I've learned to rather be still and rather move forward to hug or hold or to take one's hand take your part your hand ellie and to say what i really need now is for you to just be close to me and and that's quite a a vulnerable place to be and mm. not an easy place to get to so it is easier said than done, but it all starts with with the thought, and and with practice, and with practice, and with exactly. Practice. So I, I like that you spoke about physical touch, because I think that that's also something that we're losing in a way mm. with the busyness of modern life. I see this in my practice a lot, and I'm often so surprised at how how absent intimacy and physical just touch and connection is from Mm -hmm. people's relationships. And I mean, just on a physiological level, just deep pressure stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system and regulates us. Mm. And to remind people who may have lost connection with that aspect of their relationships of how integral it is to all kinds of intimacy Mm. and how sometimes when words are overwhelming or don't work, that touch and intimacy do work and are so powerful and transformative and connecting. And Nothing a good share can't rectify. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Sid and I have been really lucky in that in as much as we are good friends, we've also always been, we've always had a, um, um, a healthy physical attraction to one another and um, I have to give Sid credit here because he's also deeply romantic and I've always said I need to bottle a bit of, a bit of him and sell him <laughs> off to every marriage in the land because 
um, he's always the one dimming the lights and lighting candles and playing beautiful music and, and buying me and underwear. Early, <laughs> not too much information. Now. And those are such simple things to do. All these acts of tenderness and care. And yeah, and he always says, you know, that foreplay, it doesn't start just before bed. It starts in the morning in the way that you speak and treat your partner. And I, I, I've, I've, I'm told that um, a man doing laundry is an aphrodisiac for many a hardworking woman. <laughs> um, but fortunately, I don't do the laundry. <laughs> he draws the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember once somebody talking about some of the fundamentals that are universal and women like to feel appreciated and men like to feel admired. And it sounds like a little bit of a cliché, but I do think that there's something in the male psyche that needs to be acknowledged. I do think that there are certain roles that are innate in gender. And, and I think that those cliches exist for a reason. I, I had the privilege of listening to David White recently, and he spoke about Anxious women becoming more demanding and moany and whiny, and anxious men becoming more aggressive and combative. And whilst that's another generalization, it's, it's something that I relate to and that I think is true. And so for, con I, don't, I was going to say conventional, ma ma conventional partnerships, but I, I think it goes beyond that because I think there's often a feminine kind of person and a more masculine kind of person, regardless of their of gender. Their gender. Mm. And that these stereotypes or cliches might apply there too. Mm. And so I think that there are universal principles for the masculine energy and the feminine energy. And I think that that's okay. Mm. And that's true in all different places in nature. So we have explored commitment we've explored being rooted in a spiritual practice of some sort as something that's grounding and elevating for your relationship we've spoken a little bit about responding rather than reacting in conflict and using conflict as a lever for understanding our own adaptations that might not no longer be serving us and how we can change those we've spoken about humility and and about opening the door to learning and, and and I think the overarching theme here is that your partner is often just a mirror of your own internal story and where you're at in that story. And so maybe we can close with some thoughts on, on how to mirror in a loving way to your partner or how to recognize when your own internal dialogue is what's driving your conflict. Some Robert always says to me, not always, but he often says, you're fighting with yourself, Sky. It's like a joke. <laughs> and often I've spun a whole story in my head about something that he thinks or has done, and it was all my own invention. So maybe just a, a reminder to those listening to, to, to pause. I love the way that you spoke about pausing and feeling what you feel in your body to better distill what's really going on. Mm. So, I think when I was 16 years old, I did a 
one of these life uh, I am courses or and one of the processes was the group split into twos and the one had to just ask the other what do you want what means will you use and what experience will you have what do you want what means will you use and what experience will you have can can I just pause now because you did the Sedley Burger course when you were 16 and you did the I am course with Baruch Banai when your mom was still alive and we were married mm. and that was where we did the I am course so that was actually the I am course that you did okay. when Tiffany and Sky were little okay and, the, so, and you and don't feel it's relevant no, no, I, I, I think no, I it's do. very relevant. Yeah, I do. So, I mean, I just instead, you, uh, what I'm saying is, you were not 16. That was when you did Sedley Burger. Is that Sedley relevant? Ber- it is. <laughs> For <laughs> because you. Sedley Burger. It's the story I tell myself about no, because... the relevance of the data. <laughs> no, because Sedley Burger was all about positive thinking and manifestation, and that was also integral to your thinking. I think it's beautifully appropriate that you're having a small bicker on this podcast. (laughs) Sid, I'm going to ask you to finish with with your thoughts. So just to go back to, so what do you want? Love. What means will you use? Love. And what experience will you have? Love. And you can use that with anything and everything. And for me, that was quite an epiphany. It was uh, a, like aha, an aha moment. Mm. And I often think about what do I want? What means will I am I using? And what experience am I having mm. in the moment? Mm. And and to use that in conflictual, difficult yeah. moments. So when I'm battling, when I'm really feeling like I'm not being heard and I'm unseen and I'm not being appreciated. What means will I use? What am I wanting? And what experience will I have is very, very poignant to me. Mm. And it, it serves me to shift my focus and to take again a moment to check in with a breath and say, well, what do you really want? And that is a, an opportunity for me again to be vulnerable and to go to my partner and ask for what I really want. Yeah. And normally it is, I just want to be loved and held by you and which is universal pretty much and which is and it's remarkable how healing that is yeah and the rest the rest is the rest noise. is history <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you thank you for this time this special time together and thank you for raising me in under an arc of love and an arc of growth and always self-reflection and improvement and connection to source which has been a rudder in my own life and relationships beautiful thank you Scott. thank you for inviting us to come and share this wonderful experience with you i love you Thanks. thank you for our, for being our beautiful sky bird i love you mama Wow, we did our first podcast. Wasn't City, cool? you were brilliant. Yeah, you were excellent. You were both excellent. You were brilliant. So I'm not at you all. Should, I yeah. felt like I was just yeah, a you, fog. You know what? You, you should be doing noise. 100. This is, this Eleanor should be doing. So don't talk nonsense. 100. No, no, but doll, you're just doing what you normally do. With, with.